This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Well, good morning, River Church. I am excited to be here with you today. I hope you're excited to be here. Um, Before we start, I have a couple quick things I want to tell you. And uh, number one is, if you haven't heard, uh, we're going to be having Baptism Sunday on April 28th. And so um, I, I'm, I'm so excited about this day. I love baptisms. It's like, as, as a pastor, like, that's the win, right? Like, we're celebrating new life. We're celebrating Jesus changing lives. And so if you want to get baptized on April 28th, make sure you fill out that communication card, slip it in the, um, the offering box at the end of the service, so that we know. There's been several people tell, have told me, hey, Mike, I want to get baptized. You think I have a much better brain than I do because I won't remember if you just tell me, okay? So make sure you write it on that card, put it in there so that I can um, know, I can put you on the list, contact you, and get get ready um, to celebrate. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you say, well, Mike, well, how do I get one of those communication cards? They're in the worship guide. So the worship guide that's right outside the doors, you're walking in, ton of great information, sermon notes, community groups, um, where you can go for a community group, um, and then that communication card. So if you don't know, now you know. All right, so we've been walking through a series. A couple of you guys got that. We've been walking through a series called Who is This Jesus? And it's been based on really just people asking that question. Who is this guy? Who is, who is this Jesus? And so in week one, we've been talking about Jesus's claims throughout this, through, throughout the scriptures. And, and number one, the first thing that we talked about in week one was his claim to be the God of the universe, not some good guy, not some just great teacher, but Jesus's actual claim that he was in fact God. And then last week we talked about Jesus as your friend. You guys still remember the song? Can we sing it now? Ready? Everybody? No, just kidding. If you missed last week, you missed a treat, okay? You missed a treat. Um, but not Jesus as your friend, like your little buddy, your old pal. That was what we were trying to break. We we're trying to break that idea. But Jesus as Emmanuel, the God who is with you, the God who walks with you, the, guy, the God who understands you, who understands what you've walked through in life. And so when I say your friend, I mean someone who is in a close proximity and relationship, can understand what you're going through, who can relate to you. This week, week three, we're going to be talking about Jesus as the miracle worker. Jesus as the miracle worker. And what I wanted to do this week is I wanted to turn water into wine for you. As a matter of fact, I bought some stuff off of Amazon. I looked up some YouTube videos on how to turn water into wine. And like, I literally, I bought this like acid. And I was trying to, and it was just like turning it, not not red, but it was turning like this milky color and it was making my eyes burn and I was getting real itchy. And so I figured I probably shouldn't bring it into the school, but I tried. But all that to say that it's even that much more impressive that Jesus turned water into wine because I couldn't even turn water into like red looking stuff. Okay. And so I know everybody this morning, they're like, why didn't you use food coloring? I don't know why. Quit, quit nagging me. Okay. I don't understand. I didn't get it. Right. Okay. I don't know. I did. I just didn't. Okay. I thought, you know, go big or go home, right? We get the acid, use acid, right? But anyways, when it comes to miracles, and I talk about Jesus as the miracle worker, most of us, if we're honest in this room, probably fall into one of three categories, okay? So if I say, do you believe in miracles? You would probably say, what the first category is, nope. 
Like, yeah, maybe they used to do miracles. Maybe Jesus used to do miracles, but I believe that was in the Bible times. I don't really believe that that happens anymore, right? Anybody in that kind of, no, don't raise your hands, right? I don't believe Jesus can actually do anything. I admit to that in church, yeah. So most, some of us might fall in that quarter category. Another group of us would probably fall into, I absolutely believe Jesus performs miracles, just not in my life. I believe he can do it, just really probably not for me. And then there's that third category, and those are the people that make you nervous. They're the ones that see miracles everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're pulling into the, they're pulling in the grocery store, and they're like, Jesus, I just don't want to walk today. Give me a miracle. Give me a parking spot up front. And then they like literally cut somebody off, pulling in the parking spot. And they're like, Jesus, thank you for my miracle, even though I just destroyed my witness by cutting off this old lady who needed that parking spot. You know what I'm saying? Is that you? Raise your hand. No, no. What I would say is Jesus probably wasn't a part of that. Okay, there's, there's, so there's group one, nope. Group two, yes, but not me. Group three, they're seeing miracles in every single thing that's probably not a miracle, right? What I would say is that if we look at the life of Jesus, what, what, what we read in the scriptures is we see Jesus performing a lot of miracles. Maybe not parking spot miracles, although maybe he did give you that parking spot. Probably not, but maybe. But we see a lot of miracles. And I think as a follower of Jesus, it's important that we do believe in Jesus' supernatural, miraculous ability because so much of what he did was amazing, was miraculous. And so what I want to do today is I just want to look at his first miracle because what I believe is is I, I don't know if I'm in any of those three categories. I'm in the category that I believe that Jesus can still, that does perform miracles today. And I believe that he can still perform a miracle even in your life today. I believe he can perform a miracle in my life today. And so I, I, I want to look at Jesus' first miracle and we're just going to talk about it and see what we can learn from it. And so if you know the story, his first, the first miracle he performed was actually at a wedding. So let's read it. John chapter two, starting in verse two. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and the disciples were invited to the wedding as well. So they brought Jesus and the disciples. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked, careful, Jesus, right? My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told him. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out, take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew. And he called the groom and told them, everyone sets out the fine wine first, and then after people have drunk freely, the inferior, you understand why they would do that? Because after they're drinking for a while, they didn't notice that it was not good wine, right? A little trick. But you have kept the fine wine until now. So Jesus makes this wine, and the guy's like, and this is the good stuff, man. This is the good stuff. And as I was, as I was thinking through this this week, I began to think about Jesus, the first miracle he performed being at a wedding. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a really tough choice to choose for your first miracle. Because a wedding, weddings are places of extremely high expectations, aren't they? Weddings are places of extremely high pressure. Like you guys know, I'm a pastor. I've done a lot of weddings. And you know what I do? When I, when I do a wedding, what I want to do is I want to get in, get that wedding done, and get out. I don't even want people to remember me. 
You know why? Because pastors at weddings are like referees in sporting events. If you remember me, that means I screwed something up, right? Right? <laughs> if you remember me, it's like, man, can you believe that happened? That pastor said that? Can you believe that pastor did that? So what I want to do when it comes to weddings, I want to get in. I don't even want, I don't even want you to, who did the wedding? I can't, oh, some guy, I don't know, he was bald, real good looking. I don't remember, right? That's what I want. That's basically what I want to happen. Because if you remember me, that means I messed something up. But weddings are places of such high pressure. Like I did a wedding about four or five years ago, and as I'm walking into the rehearsal, so not like weeks before, not months before, as I'm walking up to do the practice for the wedding, the father of the bride stops me outside the event, and he says, hey, uh, preacher, I'll talk to you real quick. So okay. Never met the guy before. He says, hey, um, so uh, our family's Catholic, and I know you're not Catholic, but our family is, and we're having a lot of family come in from Mexico and all around the States, and they're expecting about an hour and a half long wedding. How long is this going to be? like 20 minutes. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. We can't, we're Catholic. And I know it's not going to be a Catholic wedding, but it needs to be, needs to be at least an hour. I'm like, bro, we're walking into the rehearsal. Like, what, what do you expect me to do? So I, you know, I did what any good preacher would do. And I just made up a bunch of stuff and uh, we went like 25 minutes. But anyways, <laughs> I'm not good at making stuff up. Um, I, but I say all that to say weddings with weddings come high expectations. And so Jesus walks into this place of high pressure, of high expectation. Um, and, and, and here's what I would say is that oftentimes when we have, or we have a need for a miracle in our life and we need God, God, I need you to move big here. I need you to do something spectacular here. It's because, because we've had a place in our life of high expectation and those high expectations have not been met. Here's what I mean like what I mean by this. Oftentimes when we are asking Jesus, God, I need you to heal this person. God, this person's sick. I need you to do something in their life. I need you, I need you to heal them. I need you to make them better. Why? Because we had a high expectation that life was supposed to be longer than this. We had an expectation that Jesus, they're not supposed to die this young. God, my expectation is that they would live 80, 90, 100 years. I need you to do something here. Or how about in a marriage? God, I need you to fix this marriage. I need to, you to heal this marriage. I need you to do something this. Why? Because we had a high expectation that it wasn't going to be like this. It wasn't supposed to feel like this. It wasn't supposed to go like this. So God, I need you to do something. We have this expectation and that expectation is not being met. And so we have these, these expectations of what life should be. And we're coming to Jesus and we're asking God, God, I need you to, to perform a miracle. I need you to do something here. I need you to solve the problem because the expectation of what I have had is not what reality has turned out to be. And so Jesus steps into this place of high expectation and he's going to address the problem. You say, well, what was, what was the problem, Mike? Well, the problem was the wine had run out. Let's look again there at chapter two, verse three. It says, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. And so we may not completely understand this or grasp this, but for the wine to have run out at the wedding was a big deal. Jewish culture or, or, or Hebrew culture uh, didn't put the same emphasis on the ceremony that we do. Like we spend thousands and thousands of dollars on that 20-minute ceremony, right? Jewish culture, they didn't do that. As a matter of fact, oftentimes the ceremony was even done in private. Not very many people were around it. You know what they put all their money on? The party. 
They put all the money on the celebration afterwards. As a matter of fact, oftentimes for a Jewish wedding, they would have the ceremony and then they would have like a seven-day feast afterwards. As someone who's already had my wedding, I think they're doing it right, right? I don't have to worry about spending money on seven-day feast. They're doing it right, right? And historically, the wine was one of the most important parts of the party. And if the wine ran out, it was a bad sign. If the wine ran out, they thought of it as a bad omen. The the Jewish people have a saying that says, where there is no wine, there is no joy. Some of you guys are thinking, amen, brother. Careful. And some of you guys are going, I can't believe he just said that in church. Y'all both need to chill. But in this setting, the wine is actually more than just a beverage. It's a symbol. It's, it's a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of celebration. And so where there is no wine, there is no joy. What they're thinking is if the wines ran out, guess what this means for the wedding? Guess what this means going forward? And, and Jewish people weren't su- really superstitious, but they were a little stitious, if you know where I'm coming from. And so their expectation was that the wine's going to be there, baby. There's going to be joy in the wedding. There's going to be joy in the ceremony. There's going to be joy going forward. And so if the wine's already ran out, this is not a good sign. Their expectation was for joy to be here and the celeb- at the celebration already, their expectations weren't being met. And what I want to say to you this morning, even as we start, is that as I was thinking through this, this talk today, this sermon today, is that I want to say this to you, is that today is really for someone in here, for whoever's in here who's had high expectations of life or had certain expectations of life, but feels like the wine's gone. You're looking at it and you're going, I feel like the wine's gone, Mike. I feel like the joy's gone. And if you're walking in here today and you had expectations for your job, you had expectations for the marriage, for the family, for life, and they haven't gone like you thought, you're going, Mike, the joy's gone. I want you to know that this is for you today. And I want to encourage you to reorient your expectations. I want you to encourage you to reorient your thinking around Jesus. Let him be the one that defines the job, the life, the marriage, the kids, the relationships. Let him begin to work in you and perform a miracle in you and reorient your, your, your thinking around what the expectations should be and see what he can do in your life today. Because I want you to know, I believe with all of my heart, that Jesus can show up in your situation and your life and he can make things different. That he can perform a miracle in you. And oftentimes in our lives, when we ask Jesus, we come to him and go, God, I want you to work in my life. I want you to do something more in my life. I need you to perform a miracle in this situation. You know the thing that, get, that gets in the way? It's me. Am I right? I'm not right. I'm right. What happens is that we often are the ones that make the mistakes that get in the way. And so as we start off this morning, I'm saying, I I want God to perform a miracle in your life. I want him to work in your life. I want to give you a couple things just off the bat that we do that gets in the way. The first thing we do is we focus on our feelings instead of our faith. We focus on our feelings instead of our faith. I had a professor in college who always would say this to me, Mike, feelings are liars. You can't trust them. And I think that's so true. And oftentimes we want Jesus to do something in our lives, but we're so focused on being run by our emotions. We're so uh, 
driven by life by our feelings that we don't focus on Jesus. We don't have put our faith in Jesus because we're just kind of going with how we feel in the moment. And the problem in this situation is the wine is gone. They could have been upset about that. They could have been mad about that. They could have focused on that and they would have lost the whole side of the fact that Jesus was there. And if they would have put their faith in him and just asked him, he could change the situation. And oftentimes we live in that because our emotions run us. Our perception of the situation is not actually what the situation is, but because we're so run by our emotions, we can't grasp what's actually happening. I read a book a while back on social intelligence called, or emotional intelligence, uh, called Suck a Lemon, which is just a great title for a book in general, right? And they said that our brains are wired in such a way that if I gave you a jelly bean, you didn't know it was a jelly bean, you put it in your mouth, you chomped down on it, and I told you it was a lemon, you know what you would taste? A lemon. Yeah, a lemon. You guys are smart, right? You would taste a lemon. Why is that? Because the brain, the way our brain is wired, we perceive things. If we perceive things a certain way, it doesn't matter what the reality of the situation is. It's how we perceive it. And so oftentimes we need God to do something. We got, want God to do something, but we're so run by our emotions. We're so run by how we think we see things that we miss God. We miss God. So what I want to encourage you to do is go to the one who can actually change things. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Not letting your, Don't let yourself be run by your emotions seeing the situation for something that it's not. So number one mistake we make is we focus on our feelings instead of our faith. Number two, we take matters into our own hands. Anybody got a problem with this one? In Isaiah chapter 30, there's something interesting happening. The Assyrians are are being threatened or are threatening to invade Israel. And if you know anything about the Assyrian Empire, not guys you want to mess with, right? And so there's this king of Israel, his name's Hezekiah, and he's trying to figure out what to do. He's trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to respond to this situation? We got these Assyrians coming in. They're going to crush us. They're going to kill us. What, what do we do? And so he's talking to his advisors and they're telling him, hey, go to the Egyptians. They can help us. Go talk to the Egyptians, see if they'll send in some chariots, see if they'll send in some horses. They're a great empire. Maybe they'll help us fight. Anybody know anything about the history between Israelites and the Egyptians? It doesn't always go so well for the Israelites, right? Like slaves for 400 years, okay? And so they're not exactly people that you can trust. And so he's trying to figure out what do we do? Do we try to handle this on our own? Do we go to the Egyptians? What's going to happen? Because if the Assyrians come in and we don't have any backup, it's going to go really bad for us. Isaiah 30 is written in response to that. Let me just read it to you. Isaiah 30, 15, for the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, you will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence, but you are not willing. What God is telling him, he's saying, hey, you have this problem. These Assyrians are coming. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to come to me for help. I want you to come to me and I want you to, he actually says this word, I want you to, to return and rest. And that return is kind of like a turning. Like I want you to, you're going a certain way, I want you to turn. And it's the idea of I want you to repent and come back to me. Some of us, if you want God to perform a miracle in your life or you want him to work in your life, you got to start by repenting. You got to start by going, God, I've been doing this wrong. I've been in sin here. And I, I want to turn from what I'm doing. I want to come back to you. And he says, come back to me, return to me. And he says, Rest in me. Rest in me. Can you imagine in a crazy circumstance where life feels like it's throwing you all over the place, God saying, you can come to me and rest. Stop doing it by yourself. Turn and rest in me. Look at verse 16. But you say no. 
We will escape on horses. Therefore, he says, you will escape and you will ride on fast horses, but those who pursue you will be faster. 1,000 will flee at the threat of one and at the threat of five, you will flee until you alone remain like a solitary pole on a mountaintop or like a banner on a hill. The Israelites are trying to figure this out by themselves. They're trying to fix it themselves instead of relying on God. And the horses here are symbolic of them trying to do it alone without God's help. And he's saying at the end, you're going to isolate yourself. You're going to be alone. Stop trying to fix it on your own. You need me, he says. You need me. Anybody ever tried to fix something on your own and it just went really poorly? You got any examples? Well, I do. Let me tell you one. (laughs) A few weeks ago, the, like we had this whole wall in our house where like the power went out. And so I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to see if I can fix it. So Katie goes out of town and uh, I'm like, all right, I'm getting on, you know, it's real great, YouTube. So I'm like, I'm going to get on YouTube and see if I can figure out why the power went out on this entire wall. It's not the breaker. I don't know what it is. So I went in there and they're like, well, you need to find out which one power is not working on. So I got the little voltage meter, you know, reader. So I go in there and I'm testing each one to see which one has power, which one doesn't. And about that time, my phone buzzes. And so I look down to see, I had my phone sitting on, on like the, this counter right here. And I look down to see what it is as I'm holding it. And when I do that, my hand slips. And so positive, negative slips to positive, positive. And if you do anything about electricity, which obviously I do not, it went really bad from there. That thing went Boom! like lightning in my face. I'm blind, falling back, stumbling. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing stars. I'm thinking, Katie's out of town. She's going to come back home. The house is going to be on fire. I'm going to be dead in the garage. Like, I mean, like you think I'm playing. Like it was like lightning in there exploded in my face. And it was in that moment that I realized I probably shouldn't be doing this by myself. Maybe it's time to call in somebody who actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> Literally almost died. I mean, I was seeing stars for like a week. I, I actually think I got a concussion. It was bad. Matter of fact, I still haven't quite recovered. Um, I've been walking in circles. It's weird. Um, anyways, I say all that to say, some of you guys got to stop trying to do this on your own. If you've got things going on in your life that you just are, you're like, this is bigger than me. I don't know. You've got to stop trying to do it on your own. And you've got to come to the one who actually can do something about it. You got to come to one who actually can do something about it. And, and check this out, verse 18. This, this section is entitled, The Lord's Mercy to Israel in my Bible. It says, therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up. Like, I love that. He's rising up to show you compassion for the Lord is a just God All who wait patiently on him are happy. And so God's response to these rebellious Israelites who aren't listening, who are going, we're not going to come to you, Jesus, for help. We're not going to come to you, God, for help. We're going to run from the Assyrians. We're going to go to the Egyptians, the one who keep betraying us for help. And God's saying, okay, my response to you is, look, I long to help you. I want, as a matter of fact, I'm rising up to show you compassion. I'm rising up to show you mercy, but you're not coming to me, so I'll wait for you. And what God ends up doing is he ends up allowing them to be humiliated by their own efforts. You want to try to do it on your own? Okay. He allows them, the most gracious thing he does to them, he allows them to be humiliated by their own efforts until they're humble enough to come back to him. 
But what's so cool about this is he says, when you're humiliated enough, when you're humbled enough, and you come back to me, I'm here waiting to show you mercy. I'm here waiting to show you compassion. And for many of us who are walking through difficult stages of life, Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, let me help you. Let me give you mercy. Let me give you compassion. And what we do is we go, well, Jesus, let me try this program out here real quick first. Jesus, Jesus let me get this toy or get this new job. Or maybe, maybe what I need is to go on a vacation and then it'll be fixed. And the problem will be fixed. I'll be refreshed. I'll be okay. Maybe if I just get in this new relationship, everything will be okay. Or maybe if I get this new job over here, everything, and it'll fix the problem. I'll be fine. It'll provide what I need. And what Jesus says in the most loving way possible is, I wish you would go ahead and just come to me. <laughs> But if you want to go ahead and, and, and try all that stuff, it's not going to work. But when, when you finally realize it, I want you to know I'm here waiting to rise up and show you mercy and compassion. Is God not good to us? Amen. So stop, let's stop being run by our emotions. Let's stop trying to do it all by ourselves. And you say, okay, Mike, you told me some things not to do. What should I do? Well, number one, well, I guess this is number three on the list. Four, three. You have your notes, you know. I'm, I am, I'm really deep here. This is going to go really deep. Do what Jesus says. How do, we, how do we get God to work in my life? How do we get God to move in my life? Do what he tells you. Do what he says. Let's look at this chapter two, starting around verse three or four, whatever it is. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place of Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, we don't have any wine. What does this concern of yours have to do with me? Woman, Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Verse five, you see verse five there. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Number one, I love this because Jesus is like, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. She's like, okay, do what he says. Just completely ignores Jesus, right? Just completely... Servants, do whatever he tells you. Anybody ever had Jesus ask you to do something that you're going, that does not make sense to me. That does not make sense. Like a few years ago, a couple years ago, I think I've shared this story with you before. I walked into a, a business and I was talking to the assistant there and, and I, I left, got in the car and I always have like Starbucks gift cards in my car to give them away. Don't have any today, sorry. Um, but it, as I was in there, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just telling me, Mike, I want you to go back in there and give her a Starbucks gift card. And I was like, Holy Spirit, you're crazy. And so I drove off. Went to Wendy's, God would not let it go. So I'm sitting in the Wendy's drive-thru and I'm miserable because all I want to do is enjoy my Wendy's because I don't get to eat Wendy's that much because Katie makes me eat healthy. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right. So I drive all the way back. I walk in, I was like, I, I mean, it was so weird. I was like, look, I know this is weird. I have this gift card for you. I feel like God wants me to just tell you um, he loves you and most importantly, he sees you. And I give her the gift card and you know what happens? Waterworks, bawling crying. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. To this day, I don't know what happened. Prayed for, left. All I know is God told me to do something I thought was crazy. I did it. Who knew he was already at work? See, what I want to tell you this morning is God is famous for doing stuff and telling us to do stuff that in the moment, we don't understand what he's doing. In the moment, it doesn't make sense to us. Like anybody ever heard the story of Noah? God comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build a, an ark. I want you to build a boat because it's going to rain. And you know what Noah says? What's a boat? What's rain? 
Because up until this point in history, they had never had rain. So he didn't even know he needed it. But you know what? When the rain started falling, I bet Noah was really happy that he was obedient. I bet he was really glad that he had that boat to get in. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, what we want as human beings is we want to reason everything through the head. We want to reason everything through the brain. And we tell God, hey, God, I'll do what you want. I'll do what you're telling me to do as long as it makes sense to me. And here's what I'll tell you is that sometimes God's going to tell you to do some things that won't make sense to you in the moment because God's like playing chess and we're not even playing checkers. You know what I'm saying? Like, like sometimes in the moment, we, we try to work it out, we try to formulate it all, and it doesn't quite make sense. You're like, God, I don't, I don't know why you're asking me to give this much to this person. I don't, I don't know why you're asking me to, to take this job over here. I don't know why you're telling me to, to love on this person over here. It doesn't quite make sense to me in the moment, but, but, but when we follow through, in the end it does. Like, the point is you can't put Jesus in a formula. Right? Like, if you even look at the miracles that Jesus performs in the scriptures, he does it different ways. Like, one, there's this one blind guy. He walks up to him. He lays his hand on him. He goes, see. And you know what happens? The guy can see. And then there's this other blind guy who I imagine didn't see this happen, but maybe heard about it because he was blind. He heard about it. And he's like, man, so Jesus just put his hands on this guy, told him to see, and then he could see? Oh my goodness, I'm going to go to Jesus and he'll do the same thing. He'll put his hand on me. He'll tell me I can see and then I'll see. So he comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, heal me. I want, I want to see. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus spits in the dirt, makes some mud and wipes it on his face. Like, Jesus, what you doing? Put that mud on me. He says, go wash it off in the river. And you know what? The guy goes and washes it off in the river and he can see. So why with one guy did Jesus put his hand on him and go see? The other guy, Jesus, makes a mud pie and rubs it out in his face and goes, go wash it off. Do you know? No? No? Nobody? I don't know why he did it that way, but you know what I do know? Both guys got healed. I don't know why he did it that way, but both guys got healed. Because God's ways are bigger than ours, our ways. He is God. He knows what he's doing. And so when he asks you to do something that in the moment you go, this doesn't quite make sense to me, have enough faith to step into it and be obedient. And I will, as a caveat, say this, he will never ask you to do something that goes against the scriptures, okay? So if he's like, I feel like you should rob Mike after church, he is not telling you that. If he says, I feel like you should give Mike $1,000 after church, I'm hearing that too. That was for somebody in here. I can feel it. I can feel it. That was, for, that was a word for somebody in here. <laughs> he's never going to tell you to do something that goes against the scriptures, so weigh it against the word of God, but he might stretch you a little bit. He might ask you to do something you're not quite comfortable with because he's trying to grow you, he's trying to move you, he's trying to work in you. He will do that. You know why? Because there's a church planted here because he asked me to do that. Okay? So be obedient. Number two, focus on what he is doing in you. Because what God does, don't... so. Focus on what he's doing in you, not so much the situation, right? Because what God does is he takes the problem, he takes the, the difficult circumstance, and he teaches you through it. What God does is he works on your character in the moment, the stuff that matters, the deep stuff that matters. He sanctifies you through those difficult times. You go, what is sanctification? What does that word mean? It means he grows you closer to him, and he kills sin in your life that shouldn't be there. 
That's what that word means. So, so like, let's just see this. He teaches us through it. Let's look at verse six and seven. It says, now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Filled the jars with water, Jesus tells them. So they filled them to the brim. Now, what's interesting about this is we're going to see Jesus teach and perform the miracle. We're going to see him work in their lives and perform the miracle. He takes these six stone water jars. He doesn't take the wine jars that were empty. Why didn't he do that? Doesn't that seem wasteful? Just use the ones that are already empty, Jesus. What he does is he uses these ceramic pots that were placed at the door of the temples, the door of the temple where they worship God. And these, these ceramic pots that he takes are ceramic pots that were used for washing yourself or cleansing yourself before you walked into the temple. You had to cleanse yourself before you came into the temple, right? Imagine if I made you do that before you came into church this morning, right? Like they would literally stand there and they have to wash off their hands and their arms before they came into church. And they had to do it in a certain way. Like the water had to fall down their hands in a certain way or else it didn't count. And they even had somebody standing there watching to make sure they did it right. Next week, we're going to have somebody outside making sure your hands are clean before you come to church, all right? Everybody cool with that? We probably would get sickless, all right? And so he, puts, he, uses, but he uses these particular pots for, to, to turn the water into wine. And the idea was that if the, you use these, the people who are using these pots, they had to wash themselves. If you didn't do it a certain way, you weren't accepted. If you didn't do it the right way, you couldn't come in the club. And what this was, these pots were symbols of a Jewish religion that had become a religion of works, had become a religion of you got to do it, this, 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 and this to be accepted, to come in the club. You got to earn your way in or else you don't get in. It was a symbol of dead religion. And so Jesus doesn't fill the empty wine jars. He, uses, he chooses to fill these ceremonial washing pots. Why? Because I'm going to do the miracle. And as I'm doing the miracle, I'm going to use it to teach you. I'm going to use it to show you something. And what he was showing the Jewish people in this moment was that I've come to bring you a true religion, not a dead religion. What I've come is to bring you, what did the wine symbolize? I've come to bring you a religion of joy, not a dead religion. I'm putting wine in these old religious washing pots because I want you to know that joy has returned to the party. Can I get an amen on that one? Not just, not just to the party, but to the relationship with God. That because Jesus is here, things are different. And he's saying it's not going to be something where you've got to earn your way in. You've got to do it just right and you can get in the club. But that through Jesus, salvation can be given freely to all who believe in him. And that joy, baby, means the party has returned. What, is, what does the scripture say? When one person gets saved, thousands of angels are celebrating partying in heaven. And that's what we're going to do on the 28th. Everybody who gets baptized, we're going to celebrate and party. So get ready for the party. Because joy has returned to the religion. Joy has returned to our faith. And so he says, I'm going to do the miracle, but as I'm doing the miracle, I want to show you why. I want to show you what I'm doing in you. And what he's saying is I've come to bring joy and abundant life in Jesus. Here's what I, I, I point this out to say this, is if you're going through something today, if you're walking through something, you're going, God, I need you to work in it. I need you to change it. I need you to do something. I want to challenge you. If it's nothing's changing, if nothing seems different, if you just seem stuck, to step back and ask the question, Jesus, what are you trying to teach me through this? Jesus, what are you trying to show me through this? Because I'm telling you, when you walk through trials and difficult times, God is going to use it. He may not have caused it in your life, but he's going to use it to teach you something, to grow you. And here's the scary part. 
you may not get out of that season of life until you get the message. The other day I was disciplining my son because I'm a good father. And he was just, he was like just throwing water everywhere. He was being crazy. So I, I put him in timeout. Um, I put him in timeout. And when he was in the room in timeout, you know what he was doing? He was sitting there like a perfect angel child saying, dad, teach me whatever you want to show me. Why are y'all laughing at that? No, he was kicking and screaming and yelling, dad, let me out. Dad, let me out. Dad, don't leave me. And I told him, I said, Gideon, when you're quiet and sitting on the bed like you're supposed to, I will open the door and I will come back in. And so he screamed and screamed and screamed, and then he got quiet. And I, I'm, you know, I want to be a good, loving father like, like God. He says, I'm rising up to show you mercy. So like he was quiet for like two seconds. I'm like, all right, I'll go in there now, right? So I'm walking to the door. I go to put my hand on the door, and then, Dad, I let me out! And I was like, hand off the hand, door handle. Walk away slowly. I was trying to teach my son a lesson. I was trying to show him something that will help him in life but he wasn't getting the lesson. And in the moment I was going to go and talk to him and release him from it, you know what happened? He lost it again. And so because of his unwillingness to listen and learn, he had to sit in a situation just a little bit longer until he got it. And he finally did be quiet after he fell asleep from being in there for three hours. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> in your trials, Jesus wants to teach you and grow you. And so I, I will say this, just because you learned the lesson doesn't mean you automatically get out, right? I'm not saying the season changes because you're like, I got it, Jesus, let me out now. But I will say this, if you're walking through a difficult season, be a fast learner because <laughs> you don't know what might happen. You don't know. First Peter 6 and 7 is uh, not my favorite verse. As a matter of fact, I don't even like this verse um, because there's like, you know, there's the refrigerator verses that make you feel warm and cuddly inside. This is one of the ones that go, oh, that stinks. All right. Well, not really. It's good once you get to the end of it, but the first part stinks. First Peter 6 and 7, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you will have to struggle in various trials. So he's saying you're about to have to walk through, you've had to walk through some difficult circumstances. You've had to look around and go, man, this stinks. This is hard. This is difficult. I hate this. And like, they're going through trials like people getting killed, right? He says, but you're going to struggle through various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, isn't that interesting? The genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in. So you're walking through all these difficult circumstances so that it will refine your faith, will make it more valuable than gold, and all that will result in you praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is your suffering, your difficult circumstances, the goal of it as you walk through it, Jesus may not cause it in your life, but the goal of it as you walk through it is that it would refine your faith, that it would make your faith like gold. And you know what gold is? Valuable. And what I would say is there is nothing more valuable than our faith in this world. And I want to encourage you this morning, but if you're walking through difficult circumstances, know nothing is wasted that God uses it to refine you, to sanctify you, I mean, growing closer to him, kill sin in your life, and that if you walk through it rightly, it will result in praise, glorifying God, honoring God, and how about that cool one right there, knowing Jesus deeper. Let God use it for your good, and, and I'll say this. I'm a really pragmatic person. 
like maybe too pragmatic at sometimes. I'm real, I'm really practical. So here's what I would say is if, if you got to go through it, you might as well at least let God use it. Am I right? Because here's what might happen. The season might change and you might come out of it. And if you didn't learn anything, if you didn't grow at all, then you know what happened? You did waste it. You did waste it. So let God use it in your life. He's going to try to teach you something. So number one, if you want God to work, and it's not a formula, it's not a formula, but this is biblical advice. Number one, do what Jesus tells you. Number two, look at it and see, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? And then number three, I want you to believe the unbelievable. I want you to believe the unbelievable. You know what a miracle is? It's something unbelievable that happens. It's something unbelievable that happens. And John eight and nine, they're obedient. They, they put the water in the ceramic pots. It turns into wine. They take it to uh, the chief servant. He drinks it and he's like, man, this is the good stuff. He drinks it and he goes, this is, this is unbelievable. He didn't know it was a miracle, but this stuff that was water had now miraculously been turned into wine. And they're, they're drinking, they're going, man, this is, this is amazing. This is crazy. How many of you guys would love to have something like that happen in your life? Now I don't mean like, you know, you're drinking water and it turns into wine, although that would be crazy. But like a situation that you're in, you're going, God, I need you to change. I need you to do something. I need to, I want to grow in this. I want to be made different in this. I want to see you heal this. How many of us would love to step back a year from now, a month from now, a few weeks from now and go, oh my goodness, God, look what you, that's crazy. Anybody? That's crazy, God. How did you, how did you do that? Well, check, check this out. I love this verse, Mark 10, 27. This is a good refrigerator verse. Looking at them, Jesus said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God because all things are possible with God. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that this morning? And I, I, you know, I don't know what you need today. Maybe you don't need nothing which is probably not true, but I don't, I don't know what you need this morning, but maybe as you're walking through life today and you came in here today, what you expected out of life, your friendships, your children, your marriages, your job, whatever that might be, haven't turned out the way you expected it would be. And maybe this morning you're walking through a season that's difficult and frustrating and you're going, God, I want you to work. I want you to move. I want you to, to get me out of this. I, want, I, want, I, want, I just want this... I just, I don't know. I just needed to be different, God. I need you to work. This morning, if that's you, I want you to believe the unbelievable. I want you to believe that we serve a God who can change things. That we serve a God who can make things different. That God can work in your life and he can change the circumstances. And I would encourage you to come to him, repent if you need to. Turn away from sin. If, you, if there's a sin that's in the way, turn away from it. Come and rest in him and then do what he tells you to do. Do what he tells you to do. Learn the lesson, God. How can I glorify you in this? How can I grow in this? How can I know you more in this? And then believe that he can do it. This morning, I want you to stand with me as we're about to worship. Go ahead and stand up and I'm going to do something uh, old school. I'm going to do something old school. I'm not, I'm not going to um, make you come down front. I'm not going to make you embarrass anybody, but I want to pray for you this morning. And so what I would say 
to use. I want, I want to ask everybody, just don't want to embarrass you, so just everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. And what I want to say this morning is if there's anybody who resonates with what I'm saying, then you're going, and again, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to make it weird. But if you resonate with this, you're going, Mike, I need God to do something in me. I need God to do something in my life this morning. I want to pray for you. And so I just want you to raise your hand up if that's you today. Go ahead and raise your hand up right now. Amen. And what I'm going to do is I, I don't know your situation. I don't need to know your situation. I don't, because we have a God who knows your situation. And so this morning, as you're raising your hands, I'm going to just pray over you. I'm going to intercede on your behalf today, which means I'm going to go to God for you, okay? So if that's you, raise your hands up, keep them up, and I'm going to pray for you right now. God, thank you for these people in this place, God. Thank you for everyone who comes in this space, God, I pray that they've experienced you today, God. And I, what I know is that there's people in here today who need you to work in their lives. There's people in here who are walking through difficult circumstances. There's people in here who are going through stuff. Life's turned out maybe not the way that they expected, but they're walking through stuff and they just go, man, God, this, this is hard. This is difficult. I, I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to change it, God, but I need to come back to you. I need you to do it. I need you to do what only you can do. And so, God, I pray for every person who has their hand raised in this space, God, you know what they're walking through. God, you know their situation. You know what they're feeling. The feelings that I'll never, I'll never even understand, God, but you know. You know because you're Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You're the God who has walked through life just like they have and who understands what they're walking through. And so, God, I pray for every person here with their hand raised today, God, that you would work in their situation. God, I pray that you would change things. God, I pray that you would do the unbelievable, that you would do the miraculous, and that you would change things, God, because only you can, God. God, I ask that a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, every person here who has their hand raised will be able to look back and go, my God did something amazing. And because of that, they can look back and worship you and glorify you and go, how good is my God? Because he changed me. He saved me. He worked in my situation. He's grown me, God. He's performed the unbelievable, Jesus. We trust in you. We put our faith in you, God. And in a second, we're going to worship you, believing that you're already going to do it, God. Grow us, God. Sanctify us, God. Grow us close to you. In Christ's name, amen.